Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, welcome to Tapeheads, I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, then we talk about it. Lindsay, it is the holiday season. Did you yes. pick an appropriately festive tape for us today? Uh... <laughs> debatable yeah yeah I, i'd say so there's a christmas carnival although who's heard of a christmas carnival i think it's usually a christmas fair mm-hmm. but you know you know there's some christmas stuff there's a tiny bit of snow a lot of references to black and white westerns which is confusing but it's a christmas film christmas in every town usa which in a she, 1992 yeah. christmas television movie means canada yeah, I mean, well, they filmed it in Canada. And just to, to note, this is to Grandmother's House We Go, the the Ashley and Mary-Kate Olsen film. That's weird to me. They hadn't figured out which order these kids' names should go in yet. Yeah, it was way too early. This is very, very early in their career. They're like five in this film. So let me set the scene for you, dear listener. We are currently imbibing some eggnog cocktails. Uh, the only way to get through this. Well... This is our mistake. We probably should have been drinking eggnog and bourbon during the movie. But we were driven to drink after. Yeah. I myself am enjoying a traditional eggnog with some Irish cream that I found in our kitchen. What are you having? You've got some uh, almond milk eggnog going on there? I got, I, got some, I got some hipster eggnog. I got some eggnog that doesn't have any egg in it. And I've got some... Uh... I got some whiskey in here. Yeah, I, I would suggest having a lot of these on hand. A lot of whiskey, mostly whiskey. You don't need the nog, you just need the whiskey. So this is the third Mary-Kate and Ashley film, or Ashley and Mary-Kate film, depending on which timeline you're on. It's really bizarre to see that, because it was on the VHS, too. I've always considered To Grandmother's House We Go as part of a pair with their Halloween TV movie from 1993, Double Double Toil and Trouble, which we covered last Halloween. Well, previous years. It's really, Halloween. it's really kind of a trio, though, because I, it, to me, it pairs with How the West Was Fun, which oh, I. Which holiday is that? That's not a holiday, but I mean, it, it's one of their made-for-TV movies. I think it was made for TV. Yeah, they they had those three, and then they did It Takes Two, which we covered yeah. back in January. They finally launched to theaters. Yeah. I mean, they honestly didn't have another movie go to theaters until New York Minute, which was a huge flop. Yeah. And New York Minute was their last film together. That kind of killed the golden goose, so to speak. Yeah. So, to Grandmother's House we go. This was my very first time seeing it, but Lindsay, I understand that you grew up... This was one of your favorites? This is a favorite of mine along <laughs> with... Uh, with Man of the House, starring JTT and Chevy Chase. So, I mean, you know, I think the experience of rewatching them is fairly similar in Ooh. that I didn't really remember anything, but it was this weird, like, while we were watching this, I told Sean, I was, I was just like, this is almost like I'm reliving a dream. Like, I had this <laughs> really bizarre alternate reality dream, and now I'm just seeing it on screen. It was, it's just kind of unreal because it, it seems like I felt like I remembered it really well, but then I realized I didn't know anything about this movie. This is the double-edged sword of revisiting some of these childhood classics on this podcast. That's the risk we take here on Tape Heads every other week is sometimes these tapes don't quite measure up. Sometimes we ruin our childhoods. 
uh, not not to tip our hands too much with uh, <laughs> what we thought of this film. I will say this for to Grandmother's House We Go and the Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen canon at large. There is so much to talk about with these films. It's no coincidence that these are routinely our longest episodes. Graduate film majors out there, film theory majors, just go ahead and scrap that essay <laughs> on Lars von Trier or Fellini or what have you. Go to these Mary-Kate and Ashley movies because there is a lot going on here. There's a lot going on. We've got racial commentary again, which you expect. Racial that. and social commentary... A lot about gender a is going on. But from a very skewed, dare I say, alien point of view. We should talk about the trailers, which if you listen to our uh, episode on Double Double Toil and Trouble, you don't need to listen to this because it was exactly the same. I kind of called this one because I was so certain that these this would be the exact same block of trailers as Double Double Toil and Trouble. I mean, honestly, these films were released on VHS well after they had aired on TV. Like, the ads in these include images of them when they're a few years older than they are in the film. Yeah, I mean, this was their first feature film together as the only piece of trivia on IMDb for this movie will tell you. Somehow, between its airing in 1992 and its release on VHS, they'd amassed a pretty huge volume Yeah, these girls were monetized to an extent that is actually kind of horrifying. So, I'm going to go through these quickly, just because you can go back to, I think, episode 9 was our uh, Double Double Toil and Trouble episode. It's the same exact set of trailers. We've got Little Princess. Hell yes. We've got Secret Garden. Oh yeah. We've got Black Beauty. I was totally into that too. I had a black... I got one of those Black Beauty picture books that came with a little uh, necklace in the cover. Did you ever get those where they'd have like toys and different things kind of stored into the cover? There'd be a cutout and a piece of plastic to hold it in. You know, weirdly, the only one of those that I remember seeing during like that Scholastic Book Club era was a Mary-Kate and Ashley book (laughs) about them going on a beach vacation and it came with a little like green necklace. Oh, cute. Cute. Like a green heart necklace. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I um, I was obsessed with my Black Beauty necklace. I might actually still have it. I have a little mermaid necklace from one of those books <laughs> that's in this apartment right now. Oh, good. We've got babies at play. God, why would you want a video of just babies? As we all know, babies like watching other babies at play. And not just babies, but toddlers screaming (laughs) five-year-olds this is a i see what you mean about this feeling a little bit like a fever dream because already in the ads it sort of feels that way all of these are advertising that you can get these films on video cassette yes none of of these are going to theaters this is all video cassette warner brothers stuff i think uh warner brothers laughed all the way to the bank on uh this pair of tapes to grandmother's house we go and double double then the dual star logo appears Yes. Which is odd, right? It's almost as if saying, hey, these are all the Warner Brothers ads. Now we're into the Mary-Kate and Ashley sales pitch. Now you've hit the real jackpot of entertainment (laughs) and art. 
It is overwhelming how many, I mean, each of these, especially going into their detective series, The Adventures of Mary-Kate and Ashley. Which is what they start with, then it goes to the party series. They list about 10 tapes. I mean, they highlight Case of the Christmas Caper, which yeah. is one of their new ones. Which maybe we'll watch next year. <laughs> maybe. Probably not. If we can hunt it down, I'm totally in favor of that. You could even have two, since it's probably only 30 minutes long. They, I just am overwhelmed with how many things they did, and this is well they were working on Full House. Like, I just don't understand how these kids, I mean, these kids didn't have a life. Like, it made me feel sorry for them seeing this ad again. Yeah, it is sad to think about the fact that these kids basically didn't have a childhood, and they spent their entire childhood on the set of either Full House or one of their uh, twin outings. Made to dress alike incessantly. After the detective series, there's Our First Video, which looks deplorable. <laughs> I think, isn't Our First Video the one that has the... Oh no, I'm confusing this with one of the Slumber Party tapes, maybe. There's a video that was famous for a pizza song in it. Yeah, we might as well go ahead and do our next ad, Sleepover Party. Oh, and there we go. Yeah. You're absolutely right. There's a viral video for that. What was? How did that go again? I don't remember because I don't think I've ever seen that tape. I didn't... That was not part of my catalog. Well, you would have had to have a small fortune to own the entire Mary-Kate and Ashley canon on VHS. It's still crazy to think, too, that they're only two years older than I was and only a year older than you. And by the time I was watching all of their videos, they had already probably released like 30. They're pretty industrious. Nuts. And then, of course, our final ad is an ad for the film we're about to watch. To Grandmother's House Which, We Go. Why not? Just and fit it in there. Why, why make any remote effort to make this different than the ad series for Double Double Toil and Trouble? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a dual purpose ad. I'll give them that. It is also for Double Double. It is just kind of funny how they didn't bother to cut an ad for one or the other. It's a dual purpose ad that's on both tapes. Yeah. I mean, just hey, save some money, you know. There's a degree of cynicism where, like, 10% of this VHS experience is just watching ads for other Mary-Kate and Ashley movies before the movie starts. It does make me wonder for um, The Little Princess and Secret Garden, which was at the beginning of this tape, if those movies advertised themselves in their commercial beginnings, you know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like in the, in the opening commercials, did they have ads for the film that you're about to watch because it seems like it happens a lot like we even saw that with the Blair Witch Project which came much later well I actually have a funny story about that when I was a kid I used to get like the 50s giant bug movies like Tarantula <laughs> and the Deadly Mantis yeah. and movies like that and I remember the Deadly Mantis is just sort of like a collectible feature it started with a theatrical trailer for the Deadly Mantis Please ignore our meowing cat. <laughs> Please ignore the cat. And it's like a two minute long trailer that pretty much just summarizes the movie. And for the longest time, I would just watch that two minute trailer and then press stop and rewind. And I thought that was the entire movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and oh, until I think man. finally one day I had it on and my dad is in the room. And he's like, oh, no, no, keep watching. And my mind was blown because there was this <laughs> whole other hour and a half movie after the trailer. So, oh my god! Wait, how old were you again? I was very young, in my defense. This is definitely like, like before kindergarten. 
That's so cute. Yeah. That's the danger of having a trailer for the movie you're about to watch on a children's tape. All right, so what's this movie about? To Grandmother's House we go. Uh, Definitely a reference to the uh, Lydia Marie Child song, Over the River and Through the Wood. Mary-Kate and Ashley's first movie. What's what's this all about? Yeah, first movie, not video. We gotta make sure we don't confuse those. So this film... This is essentially a story of a widow and her two children. And they're not, you know, life's not super easy. It's pretty good, but it's kind of stressful for the mom especially. And so as a favor to their mom, they decide to run away so she can have (laughs) Christmas alone to relax. And they try to get to grandmother's house, but they have no spatial reasoning whatsoever. These kids are five years old. Yeah. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't even know how the bus works. Like, they don't understand that there are multiple bus lines. They're just like, the bus goes places. We can go to grandma's house. So they try to go to grandma's house. Doesn't really work out. They end up with a delivery man who's been hitting on their mom incessantly for months, apparently. Eddie. Eddie takes them home, except then he gets hit over the head by some notorious robbers that have been all over the news. The shades of home alone here. And they accidentally kidnap these kids and decide to ransom them. And then there are a bunch of hijinks, lots of accusations of robbery, and... Ultimately, they win a lot of money. This is not a movie with a really straightforward plot. Double Double Toil and Trouble looks like a masterpiece in comparison to this. I always used to lump them together in my mind, and I assumed they would be of comparable quality. But I think the big thing that stands out with, with this movie is that there's nothing to be learned from it. The characters learn nothing. There's no moral to it. Which is weird because every child, yeah. like every children's movie has a moral. Even TV shows had to have morals. I remember, um, this is like a kind of random anecdote, but like even Japanese anime that they brought over because of the constraints of children's television, like rules about it, that we have in the U.S., they had to create something that you can learn things at the end of the episode to give you some sort of lesson to be a better person. Some moral nourishment. This has nothing. This is, there's no moral nourishment in this film. I mean, just to give a tiny example of what I mean, delivery guy Eddie, who has no redeemable qualities as a human being, he's a compulsive gambler, he's constantly buying lotto tickets. He hits on this woman that works at a 7-Eleven, the mother... Hits on her constantly, doesn't really get that she's not into him. And then when he finds out she's a mom, he's really dismissive and rude. Yeah, he's super rude. He constantly, like, daydreams about being a cowboy. Like, he's out to to lunch all the time. To the extent that he drives really irresponsibly. This is our introduction to the character. He finds himself in, like, mild (laughs) traffic. Like, there's a car with hazard lights on in his lane. So instead of doing the logical thing and just waiting for an opportunity to go around that car, he swerves against a fence that is padlocked with a chain and busts through it. Because he's a cowboy. This is a dangerous, reckless man. Rhonda, the mom of Mary-Kate and Ashley, she understands this. She understands that he's no good. But at the end of the movie, when he's rich, she suddenly is in love with him. And they gotta kiss, you know. They just gotta. It's... There's just something about this cowboy man that saved her children from an impossible, unrealistic situation with horses that never would have happened in the real world. 
I mean, this is the same guy you turn down every day, but he's now he's rich, so I guess he's all right. I mean, I guess we're supposed to go with the premise that he did save the her kids' lives. Kind of, but he also sort of put them in that situation. I mean, to begin yeah, he with. kind of put them in danger, so. So maybe we're getting. We haven't really established. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to feast on with this movie. So we also left out a key detail. This was directed and co-written by the creator of Full House. Yes, Jeff Franklin, which is a name that Full House fans should be at least familiar with. Or maybe not. Maybe you don't care. We'll get to it later, but there are definitely a lot of Full House cameos later on in the film. So the thing that really hit me just from the get-go at this movie, their mom is a widow. She's taking care of these two very difficult children by herself. Like, these kids kind of suck. These kids suck. And she works as a cashier, maybe a manager. It's never quite clear. At a 7-Eleven style 24-hour convenience store. They live in an apartment. It's not a bad place, but it's clear that, like... It's kind of small, but, like, they have everything they need. They've got really nice furniture. The girls have matching bed sets. Whereas in Double Double Toil and Trouble, like, the parents' financial hardship is what really drove the plot. It's not really an issue in this world. Like, it never comes up that they're really trying to make ends meet. Unless we're just supposed to infer that. But I thought that was very strange. And it's kind of interesting because they chose to have a single parent household. I guess because they wanted this romantic angle with the crappy delivery man. (laughs) It's it's kind of weird because they just, they ignore certain parts of what a single parent household might entail if you're doing a stereotypical representation of it, especially when you have somebody that works full time at a convenience store. It's just kind of interesting that they chose to ignore that angle. We were conjecturing that maybe she scored on his life insurance policy. Well, you were conjecturing. I was conjecturing (laughs) that maybe she scored on his life insurance policy because it seems like she's got a little bit of a cushion. She doesn't seem to have those kinds of worries. Yeah. Although she definitely is overwhelmed taking care of these awful children. (laughs) (laughs) basically the catalyst for this whole plot this whole running away scenario they're feeding the dog chocolate which granted can kill the dog they're feeding themselves chocolate and the dog steals it and this is supposed to be like a haha moment like oh the dog ate one brownie and now he's going for the other twins but it's like no that Chocolate will kill the dog. Yeah, I like how your immediate reaction was to be really stressed out about the dog and whether the dog was going to be okay. Yeah, well, he's eating chocolate. Dogs can't have chocolate, folks. No one was concerned about that in this. They were just concerned that the girls had spilled milk. So this leads the mom with her friend to, to, uh, in her friend's confidence. Okay, really quick, though. We're making the mom sound really shitty, and we haven't explained why the girls suck. The girls suck because they're super whiny definitely indulged and spoiled they're kind of rude to their mom and some of their responses to her they they're wasteful with food they they kind of get into an argument over the oatmeal and one of them pours the oatmeal on the other one's hands yeah they're disgusting awful children (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that might be a little strong okay well they're they're a handful let's say that and they're kind of annoying so basically the catalyst for their whole running away basically what kicks this whole plot into high gear the girls overhear their mom confiding in her friend sort of the babysitter she says all i want for christmas is to be by myself 
Because she has a southern accent. Just just for a couple days, not to have those nasty children around <laughs> Okay, she me. didn't say nasty children. Well, I think it was inferred. But, but she, essentially, she wants to be alone for Christmas. And so, of course, they interpret that as, oh, we need to run away and make her life more difficult. Oh, uh, they don't understand that. Yeah. They're just like, we're going to go to grandmother's house. However, but they don't know where grandmother is. Yeah, th- that's the thing that really gets me, like... I was impressed with this montage of them, like, packing their bag for their sort of getaway. If I was five years old, I probably wouldn't know to, like, pack... pack your toothbrush. And... Pack your toothbrush, pack all these, like, clean pairs of clothes for your trip. Uh, although it is kind of weird when they just put fried chicken into the same bag. Yeah, they, it's not wrapped up or anything. They take the fried chicken out of the box and put it in from the fridge, and they they put it into their bags, just like making everything in the bag greasy. This is after they smashed their piggy banks instead of just opening them like a normal person. These are disturbed children. First thing they do is they get on their trikes, well, bikes with training wheels. They go in opposite directions. So they clearly just have no idea where grandmother's house is. You learn how the boss is between the two kids. Yeah, they they eventually figure out that they can get on a bus. I feel like it's sort of a mandate that you need to have a racially uncomfortable moment in a Mary-Kate and Ashley film. Remember we mentioned the chicken, guys. Yeah, so, and Lindsay, tell me what they did with that, those fried chicken bones when they were about halfway done eating them. Really quick, though, they take, a, they take a bus ride. They figure out, oh, wait, buses have multiple lines from a crazy old lady that's practicing for a news job that doesn't exist. And while she's on the bus, she's just pretending she's a news announcer but she tells them no this bus is taking to downtown you need to get off the bus so they get off the bus and they find this black musician who's just performing out in public and they decide to tip him with fried chicken they just throw it into his case and one of them's half eaten well they're both half eaten yeah they've both taken bites out of their fried chicken and the guy's like did you just throw fried chicken into my my case? And the girls are like, well, that's what we've got, you know. Mind you, this is the only person of color who has a speaking role in the movie. Yes. And that's it. That's that's the end. And he's just like, oh, okay. And he seems totally fine with it. He's not upset that it's going to ruin his case or the fact that he's black. I can't even imagine. I I, I bet they they won't even touch these movies. Like they have. You mean Mary Kate and Ashley today? Yeah, the actresses probably have not touched these movies since they were made. There's no way they've rewatched these. Do you think when they were younger they would watch their own films? Because I know like a lot of actors like I mean older actors like to say, "Oh, I never watched my own films." I wonder because. At that young age, you, you're so, at least I feel like so many, especially preteens, are so insecure and self-aware. Even growing up in that sort of celebrity bubble, I wonder if they could watch it just because they'd be looking for everything that's wrong. When they get off the bus, they spot Eddie, who they know is that mean delivery man who smashed their tiny sad snowman out in front of their building earlier yeah he this is when he was making a delivery and found out that Rhonda was a mom and is really disappointed so they basically stow away on his truck and they get away with this for a little while before he notices they, they make some headway on their journey maybe towards grandmother's house their their logic which is actually really cute 
kid logic is the fact that, well, he delivered a package from their grandmother, so therefore he goes to their grandmother's house. They can just take his truck to her house. So of course Eddie the truck driver uh, finds them in the back seat. This is the part of the movie that's really baffling to me and this is the part where the mom is less sympathetic because the mom is already aware (laughs) that her kids are missing. The babysitter called her up very frightened and the mom did a really good powerful mom thing where she told everyone get out get out of the 7-Eleven I gotta go home and start searching for my kids. And she actually talks to a detective who's on the lookout for her kids. Yeah, like a very old school detective in like a trench coat. He's like a film noir detective. So so the mom, of course, is is really stressed out at this point. Um, Eddie takes them to this truck stop and calls up the mom and basically lets her know, don't worry, the girls are with me. But instead of saying something that you would, you know... Expect, like, I'm going to take them right back, or they'll be back in half an hour, or... Or or just tell them where the truck stop is so she can come pick them up, because they haven't gone that far. Yeah, exactly. Instead, he says, I'm going to finish my rounds. I'll bring them to you tonight. Yeah, literally hours from now. Yeah, and she's like, okay. And then they hang up, and that's it. And she doesn't tell the detective that the kids have been found. What parent would find that acceptable? Just leaving your kids in the hands of this... Random guy that hits on you constantly and expressed dislike of children earlier in the day. They're not on a first name basis. Like On the way into this truck stop, one of the girls had to go to the bathroom. Oh yeah, important plot point here. And so he they ran screaming into this truck stop where he's saying, You can hold it, you can hold it, and he she's saying, I can hold it, I can hold it, and they get to a point in the middle of the restaurant where she screams, I can't hold it! And so they're panicking, trying to find a women's restroom. They finally get into one, and then she runs into a stall, and he's just by the front door, and he's on his way out, and there's a woman who is really upset that he's in the bathroom. And I thought that was kind of a weird one, because it's kind of like a father dropping his daughter off in the women's room doesn't seem like a big deal, because you'd think that's how it would be perceived. It's not that weird. But then again, this is like a dive bar truck stop. Dive bar truck stop that's huge. This restaurant was absolutely massive going by how many twists and turns they had to make to get to the restroom. It was a labyrinth. It also kind of looked like a cattleman's restaurant. Like, part of me wonders if they had just rented out a cattleman's. And yet they also serve peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. But there was something interesting that you noticed about the restroom scene at the very end. Yeah, okay, so maybe this is nothing. Maybe this is intentional. But when one of the twins finally comes out of the restroom, the door opens and the, the, this adult pair of arms, like, shoves the kid out. As if they had to just, like, get her out of there. How hands-on to these handlers have to be because he pointed out at one point one of them looks directly down the barrel of the camera yeah she's like standing in the background they're talking to their mom and one of them is just looking straight at the camera for for a few seconds and granted they're five but it's just funny how on the edges of the frame you can literally see pas pushing them into frame i like how you were also kind of upset that they couldn't read they're illiterate. Like, They're I completely illiterate. But hey, you know, maybe they haven't started kindergarten yet. 
their mom is reading them the Grinch how the Grinch stole Christmas and at a certain point she just goes uh and you girls gotta get to bed and they say something as if it's part of the book as if it's part of the book and one of the girls says you know we can't read (laughs) that struck me as very weird maybe they can't maybe they're slow learners and that's why their mom's so stressed out so yeah instead of delivering these kids back to their mother which is the correct thing to do this delivery man eddie proceeds to exploit these girls by (laughs) he figures out that he can get tips out of them from the uh people he's delivering packages to this guy is such a piece of garbage like (laughs) he really is a piece of shit he is so reprehensible this is what he does he has these girls help him deliver packages granted like they want to help they want to be helpful at first he's going up there and they're following him and then they're going up together and then at a certain point he just stands by the truck while they go up to strangers homes and give packages away and this is because every single person that gets a package from these girls give one dollar bills to everyone involved like here's a dollar for you mary kate here's a dollar for you ashley here's a dollar for you truck driver (laughs) and this is the response that everyone has this brings us to uh a scene where they go to an ice cream shop ice cream shop slash lotto ticket seller yeah he buys He buys lotto tickets again. Is there an ice cream shop that exists like that? You'd think that would be a convenience store that has prepackaged ice cream, but this is straight up like a Baskin-Robbins style ice cream shop. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre place. And the question that we both had is, okay, so he has time to stop for ice cream. And lunch. And lunch. Why did he not have time to bring these kids back to their mom and avoid the entire events of this movie? He buys a lotto ticket with their birth date. Three. He gets three lotto tickets. No, wait, not three lotto tickets. He gets he gets like ten lotto tickets, and he gives a couple of them to the girls he that they put in their yeah. little purses. He he squanders the day's uh, money that he made at these girls' expense. And uh, probably their tips too. Probably their tips too to buy all these lotto tickets. And this is a strange sort of lotto ticket where it's a play to spin. Yeah, this was kind of a weird thing. Like, you would win the right to spin, but then the range of winnings that you would get from spinning were anything from 500 to a million dollars. Maybe a million. I I couldn't quite remember. Or 1.3 million is what he says. There we go. That was the jackpot. And... But so, most of them were like five hundred or a thousand dollars. So maybe maybe listeners write in tapedspodcast at gmail dot com. We're not uh, that up on the lotto, but is there a lottery ticket where if you win, you are to report to a studio by a certain time? By a certain time. If you don't show up that night, then you're yeah. not going to win anything. Where you, get you have zero to, dollars. Yeah, where you have to spin a physical wheel, like Wheel of Fortune, to collect your prize yeah like i've never heard of anything like that i think that it's just an excuse to have sort of a ticking clock at the end of the movie and to add uh to add four full house people into it and this is when our our uh sort of home alone style robbers show up he finally bothers to take these girls home well after dark and 
tells them, this is the other thing, like, instead of just taking the girls straight to the door and presenting them to their mother, he says, no, you sit in the back of the truck where he's been having them sit all day without seatbelts. <laughs> As he's driven all around town, he has them sit in the back of the truck while he goes out, and he ends up tricked by the robbers, Rhea Perlman and um, Jerry Van Dyke, the younger brother of Dick Van Dyke. Uh, they are the, the robber couple, and Eddie gets knocked over the head. The robbers run off with a delivery truck with the little girls, they soon find out. These bandits are so much like the Home Alone bandits, except that they're a couple, like an older couple. But they're even called like the FPD bandits, like the wet bandits. Like they have their own bandit name. Yeah, I mean, they they were hinting at these bandits all day. Eddie was getting warnings from people who had been watching the news that the um, FPD bandits, FPD is essentially UPS. That's the company he works for. And they've apparently been robbing all of the delivery trucks to get people's Christmas gifts. Lindsay, you mentioned this, and I think I agree. If there's one sympathetic character in this entire movie... One person you care about. It's Harvey, the Jerry Van Dyke character. He's actually very sweet for a robber that is willing to steal people's Christmas presents. And to kidnap two little girls. Well, that's by accident, technically. So they discover... So basically, it's actually a pretty good plan that these bandits have. Basically what they do is they go around around Christmas time knocking out UPS drivers and stealing their trucks and then taking all the packages out. And they'll unwrap all the packages, they'll abandon the truck, they'll unwrap the packages to find the valuable stuff, and then they'll sell it off at different places to get money out of it. And they even have this thing down where they act like a jogging couple. Yeah. And they come by and knock it. Like, I have to say, for a children's movie, that that, that, seems like a pretty good way to do it. Yeah. And this is a childless, older couple. They've spent time in prison together. They've they've done a lot of things together, but they didn't have kids. And you can get the feeling that... Jerry Van Dyke Harvey or Harve mm-hmm. get the feeling that Harve really wanted kids and just didn't get to have them and so he's very grandfatherly to these girls yeah Harvey actually connects with these kids in a way that his wife does not <laughs> or and, any other character or any other character including the mom and definitely not Eddie so they basically take the girls to an arcade and call up the mom and say, hey, we found your kids, but is there a reward involved? Basically, a ransom? And so once they find out there's no reward, they demand a $10,000 reward, which is really a ransom. And this kicks off one of the many ethical dilemmas that the film presents us. Yeah, where we have the mom is in a struggle to get her children back, and you have Eddie... Who is just like, well, whatever. Oh, wait, I need to check my lotto tickets. He checks the lotto tickets. He didn't win. That sucks. He leaves. And then he realizes the girls had lotto tickets. And the girl's birthday was the winning ticket number. So just to just to underscore this, he didn't care that these girls were kidnapped and being held at ransom. Because, it, and it's his fault. And but it's he his didn't fault. Call, he didn't yeah. care. It didn't He's, matter to him. If there's one person to blame for the situation they're in, it's him. And it's only until he realizes that one of them has a winning lottery ticket that he rushes back and says, Hey, if we sell all the shit that's in the back of my truck, other people's packages, and pawn it off, we can use that money 
that basically get my lotto ticket back. Yeah, and this was super confusing because he kept saying he had a winning ticket and he was going to get $1.3 million, but then you find out he might have actually walked out of there with only $500 because of the whole spin-the-wheel system. Yeah, you win to spin here, folks. You live or you die. So he acts like he's going to get over a million dollars, but at that point he had no idea if they could actually repay the packages that they effectively stole and sold off. This is super illegal. I mean, tampering with the mail alone is a felony. And she, the mom is going to bring the police in and he convinces her not to. And, you know, it's it's tragic because the kidnappers have turned them into villains. Yeah, they end up just imitating what the kidnappers have been doing. They're able to justify it by saying, oh, well, basically the mom is keeping a, a record of every single thing that they're pawning off. You know, packages that they've opened up, whether it's a VCR or whatever, they say, oh, well, we'll buy these again and bring them to the their rightful owners. And I also like that they're not willing to take any money from their savings accounts or anything. Like, they literally pawn off $10,000 worth of stuff. They, there's no, there's no, well, we'll do 5,000 because between the two of us, we've got this much. It's, they're pawning everything. Yeah. These are selfish, terrible people. <laughs> what if they go to spin and they only win $500? Like, they can't what replace are, the stuff. They can't replace all this stuff that they stole from these people. Like, it's insane. This, this whole idea is crazy. Why don't you just bring the police in? You know, I mean, I can understand, like, you've got this idea of risk and all that stuff, but she brought the police in earlier. Why mm-hmm. not just call them back up? I mean, this is sort of a thriller trope, I feel like, as the kidnapper always says, don't involve the police. But, I mean, I think the thing to do is to involve the police, but just make their involvement, you know, stealthy. Invisible. Yeah. I mean, that would be the correct thing to do, but but they don't do that. They do something crazy instead. Which, lesson of this movie, folks, just pawn stuff off to get what you need if somebody gives you a threat. So they agree to meet at a certain Christmas carnival, which, if you remember, is right near Great Grandma Mimi's house. Oh, we never established this, actually. When the they get a present from Grandma Mimi through the delivery of Eddie... Grandma Mimi has a note saying that there's a Christmas carnival going on near her house, which it's really confusing where Grandma Mimi's house is because they say it's hours and hours away and that's the mom's reason for not going to visit Grandma Mimi when the girls ask. But then it seems like they're just outside of the town, like they're not actually that far away. Although later on, it's six hours from wherever that Wheel of Fortune is taking place. Is it? That's what they say. That's so confusing because it's the same officer that they talked to for the when the kids were missing that shows up to arrest them as the as the bandits. Why would he drive six hours out of town? Why wouldn't they have local police handling that? This movie just takes place in a geographical vortex. It's kind of like a child's view of geography. Anyway, they agree to meet the kidnappers at the Christmas carnival. They're told to wear a red hat and meet them at the ice skating rink. But of course, the kidnappers lose track of the girls, and they wind up on a horse-drawn carriage that is out of control. Oh god. These horses are out for blood. Fill us in on some of this horse logic, because you have some serious problems with this horse-drawn carriage. My thing is, okay, you got these horses that are 
attached to a carriage that gets spooked. So they start running, which is, you know, horses get spooked. I've been a spooked horse that's ran for all it was worth and ignored me when I tried to stop it. That's happened to me like three times. Thank you, dogs, for terrifying horses. <laughs> it's not super clear what spooks these horses, but they run for it. and With they, the Olsen twins in tow. With just the twins in tow, Santa left his sleigh. These horses bust through a fence with no Which hesitation, no desire to stop. And they're running for a cliff, and it really seems like they're going to run off the cliff. And horses aren't lemmings. Like, horses don't want to die. Like, that whole flight thing is to survive. There's a great scene in the movie True Lies when Arnold Schwarzenegger is chasing a bad guy on a horse. And the bad guy drives from the top of one building on a motorcycle to another. And Arnold tries to chase him on the horse to basically leap across buildings on his horse. But the horse stops like, fuck yeah. no, I'm not doing this. Because the horses aren't stupid. They don't want to die. They'll stop before they jump off a cliff. They're animals. They're not going to burst through police barriers. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, it's like, it, it just doesn't really make any sense. Like, I've been on a horse. Horses don't behave this way. But anyway, thanks to our uh, fearless cowboy, Eddie, he's uh, able which, to... Did, we didn't really mention the fact that throughout this film, anytime Eddie has been around, they, the scenes have been intercut with black and white footage from old westerns. This happens conservatively 20 times. Which is weird because it's like, it's almost like you're seeing everything through, through Eddie's point of view, but who cares about Eddie? This is an Olsen Twins movie. I think you're supposed to think it's funny, like, ha ha, this absent-minded UPS man thinks he's a cowboy, but... If it was funny the first time, which it's not, it's definitely not funny the 16th and 17th time they intercut it with, like, footage from Gunsmoke or whatever. And then suddenly he knows how to jump on horses and take control of them and stuff, although they totally ignore his orders once he gets them to not run off a cliff, which they wouldn't have done anyway. But he becomes a hero. And the horses just happen to have taken them to grandmother's house just magically grandma is there and grandma has like three words of dialogue that's what's crazy to me i always assumed that the grandma was the linchpin of to grandmother's house we go but it's like a glorified cameo where she just sort of comes out and says oh you girls look cold out there like i'm actually starting to wonder if you even see her face or if this is a charlie brown world scenario you see her face, but it's it's weird. It's It just happens like that. And all of a sudden, we're back into the bandit plot where the police think correctly that the uh, mom and Eddie have uh, been the bandits. Because they stole a bunch of stuff and sold it. And they yeah. were seen doing it. And they're like, oh, but we're so innocent. No, you're not. They get off the hook because of lovable Harvey. Who says, hey, it's Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. I'm going to turn myself in. And my wife. And my wife. For five years in jail, did they say? They say that they'll get three to five years, which sounds like a pretty light sentence. That for... is a pretty light sentence for selling thousands of dollars worth of merchandise. And granted, like, long criminal history. People. So they've assaulted people. Uh, Grand Theft Auto. Multiple times. Multiple times. Kidnapping. And these are guys that have been in prison before. Oh, yeah. So they think three to five years. I, I would imagine it would be closer to 30, but what do I know? And so this brings us to the exciting conclusion 
when they managed to convince one of the cops to drive them at top speed with the siren on to the with, taping of Winno Lotto. With the handcuffed robbers in tow. So they get to the set of Winno Lotto where you spin the wheel to find out what you win. And who are these hosts? Bob Saget and Lori Laughlin of uh, Full House fame. Sort of as an Easter egg in the audience, you've got two others. You've got... Uh, uh, Candace Cameron's there and Andrea Barber also. They're in the Winno Lotto audience. And, of course, they spin the wheel and win the jackpot. Because, you know what? These guys robbed people. They <laughs> ran away. They didn't learn anything. Why not reward them with more than a million dollars? You know, I, I changed my mind. Eddie and the mom sort of deserve each other. Rhonda was kind of into Eddie after he saved her kids, but this is the turning point in their relationship. Again, like, what is the lesson of this movie for children? Because Double Double Toil and Trouble had a lesson where it started off that these twins hated each other. They, they hated being referred to as cute twins. They wanted to look different. They wanted to be different people. They discover the importance of family. That's the and lesson the of that movie. And the importance of twinship. And they learn tolerance. You know, their best friends are a little a person, little person and, a black, and man. a black man. Yeah, it's a very inclusive message in Double Devil Toil and Trouble. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I look back on that through rose-colored glasses, especially compared to this. This one was rough. Somehow, all on the same night, I guess they got the cash immediately, this million dollars. Yeah, they must have, because they rebought all of the stuff. Win the lotto, repackage everything, and deliver it to all the families, all of the things that they stole. And then oh. I guess at three in the morning, they drive home. They even have time to hook up Christmas lights to the uh, delivery truck. I know it's a children's movie. I can't imagine that the police just let them take the $10,000 in ransom money back. That's evidence. That's part of the case. All right, Lindsay. I think that we've said just about all we can about To Grandmother's House We Go. Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? Tape over it. If you can't tape over it, then just set it on fire. Oh, wow. This is this was exceptionally disappointing. Like, Double Double Trail and Trouble for its flaws is watchable. Maybe I would have enjoyed this more if we'd ha started drinking whiskey before we watched it <laughs> instead of after as a consequence of watching it. This is just not a good film. The story's out there. The characters aren't there. It's just not redeemable. Um, yeah, this is a tape over it. I was really disappointed. Will there are certain trappings of Christmas, it doesn't necessarily feel like a holiday movie. Yeah, it's really perfunctory that they said it at Christmas. You get a little bit of snow, you get, you know, holiday decorations and stuff, but this could have been like a Full House episode. You know, like yeah. this whole kidnapping plot, and it's all very low stakes. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed. This is easily the least of the three Mary-Kate and Ashley movies that we've seen so far for the podcast. Don't worry, we still have Passport to Paris. Next episode, we're switching over to my collection, and uh, I was really hoping this movie would be better because my holiday pick is a 1989 horror film called Elves. And you said this is really bad. Like, you were setting me up for this being pretty terrible. So, I just remember this film being so uncomfortable. Like, there's a way... This movie really goes there. Uh, you're gonna want to take a shower after this one. It stars Grizzly Adams as a ex-cop 
who becomes a mall Santa and stumbles upon a Nazi plot for a demonic elf to impregnate a virgin with the Antichrist. Mind you, there's only one elf in this movie, despite it being called Elves. It's uh, batshit crazy, and it should be a lot of fun. So, Elves will be my Christmas pick for tapeheads. Sounds good. Or not. <laughs> we'll see. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can find out more about us and our podcast at tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also contact us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. <laughs>